Bless you, welcome. Great to have everyone this morning. If you're a newcomer, great to see you and, and uh, I'd love to catch up with you after the service for a cup of coffee. We're, uh, we're picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. We've been, we've been diving in where no preacher uh, dares to go. We're, we're preaching Bible front to back. And uh, so we're calling it the story and we're up to chapter six, which is not chapter six of the Bible, chapter six of this book that we're following called the story, which is essentially, it's available from all good bookstores and online and uh, e-versions, all, all you like. It's all scripture, but it's not all of scripture. And what it's doing is running chronologically through scripture and breaks it up into 31 uh, major chapters, makes it very easy to read. So it's all straight from the NIV, it, it's, it's legit. And, uh, and we're working through the full story, starting from Genesis 1 right through to Revelation 21. So we're up to this topic now called The Wandering, and if you want to open up your Bible in whatever form it's in, uh, I'm still a fan of the hard copy, I must say, uh, but Exodus chapter 33 will get you there, but I just need to preface those with a few comments, because I just want to bring this in, we're talking about the wandering, the wilderness, some of us call, us call it the desert, but it needn't be that way, I want to talk about today this season that we see in Scripture that the Israelites have gone through, uh, first time for them, uh, 40 years, became an, an iconic moment in the life of God's people and referred to right throughout Scripture after that, uh, known as the wilderness, the wilderness time. And so what I want to do is really begin to explain that because many of us here are experiencing what we could define as a wilderness time. God willing, it's not going to be 40 years. Uh, it could be a lot shorter than that. It depends on, on our response to that. Uh, and how we work that through. So I want to really bring hope to us this morning that if you're going through a wilderness period in any form, that there is a way out of that. Uh, it, it does what it has to do in the time that it has to do it, but we can cooperate with that process. Because you might be feeling that you've really had promises over your life, potentials have been spoken, but it's stalled and blocked. Ever had that? I, I certainly have had that instance many times where a promise has come and there seems to be quite a delay between the anointing and the appointing. Uh, this gap and how do I manage that? And in retrospect, sure that I could have shortened that process if I'd have known how to cooperate with the ways of God. Sometimes we feel like we're waiting on God and we've got our service ticket, we're waiting to get called up, but everyone gets called up before us. The line somehow moved by, the odometer of our speedo in life just keeps ticking over the years and we're thinking, Lord, when's it my turn? I've been waiting and we're literally waiting on the Lord and waiting for God, but nothing seems to be happening. So this is often the invisible spiritual wilderness. And you can see right through Scripture that Jesus offers us abundant life where there are works that are predestined, there's a promised land coming, but it requires a type of relationship and a type of faith in God. There are dynamics that must come to play before He'll sort of let us loose, if you like, into that promise. Because if we're not ready for the promise, the promise can in many ways work against us. The Israelites were going into the promised land. They've had Exodus, they've had the Ten Commandments, they've had the whole deal, and now they're due to walk into what was the reason for this huge Exodus. It was a big deal, and they get to this point, and suddenly it stalls. And it took them 40 years in the end to take a journey that should have taken them only a couple of weeks. So it's not long after Sinai, and we pick the story up where uh, 12 guys have been sent out to scope the land. So they've, they've got to go out, they're, they're on the doorstep of Canaan, uh, their promised land, it's a land of milk and honey, all the abundance, all the promises, everything's there for them, and they're sent to scope it out. And it was a fact-finding mission, but these, it wasn't a viability study. Somehow the job description got lost, and these guys are sussing out whether or not they're going to do it or not. 
So their, their mindset is, will, will we obey or not? Moses is saying, I need you to just sort out what we've got to do to get there. He, he was looking for strategy. They're coming back with vision. And so when they came back and did the report, Moses did what every leader should never do and give the microphone to faithless Frank last. So Caleb got up first and said, yeah, we can surely do it. But then some other rooster got up and said, no, we can't do it. It's too big. We, they look, we look like grasshoppers. They're giants there. It's harsh. It's tough. Caleb's going, well, yeah. But they're going, no, this is why we can't go. And so they sent a bad report, it says, throughout the land. And so they decided in the end, we can't do this. So into the wilderness they go. And, uh, and that's the end of that story. For 40 odd years, all of them, except for two, pass away in the process. All right, that's bad news, but I want to bring some, some light into this uh, because hopefully you're not going to die in your wilderness, although I must say it's possible. It's possible, as we've seen from Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, referring to this very time, he says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as, as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things just as they did. And then Paul goes on in, in that context to list off three or four things that said, they did this wrong, therefore they stayed in the wilderness, and so on. And so I want to begin to tease a bit of that out. But, it, but the big point here is what happened to them uh, is a lesson for us, that even though they had the promise, they had the baptism, they were cut off, they couldn't go back, neither could they go forward until this process of the wilderness played its part. And so... We need to understand, because we bring connotations, because we, we read this thing now so often, we think wilderness equals punishment. We equate the two. And definitely, discipline happened to these guys in that context. But we're wrong if we assume the context is the discipline. The wilderness is actually an incredibly positive moment. It's an ordained moment, and all of us need to go through multiple seasons of these wilderness as we go through life. And I know there are many people who are called here today. You've, you've been called, you've heard the promise, and you're frustrated. And I remember my time when I, it was like a, a, a lion in a cage, shaking the cage, going, God, you've made the promise, when are you going to let me out? When are you going to let me loose? And God's there going, man, if I let you loose now, no one's going to recover. <laughs> you've got some stuff to learn, baby, because the world's not ready for you, and you're not ready for the world. And so there are some principles to the wilderness I just want to bring out, and then I want to bring you what it looks like to get to the back door of this thing, because I've preached on this many times, but I, I haven't really focused on, actually, there is a way out of this thing. So a few principles first. The wilderness is an imposed season, okay? It's, it's put upon you. It's God's idea. It's not your idea. You can't say, I think I'm going to go for wilderness time right now and check out of life. It doesn't work like that. God is working in you and it's part of a preordained season in your life. You can't decide on it, you can't initiate it, neither can you go back and neither can you proceed until God knows you're ready. He knows better than you when you're ready. So we've got to, this is a new type of faith. It's, it's easier to have faith in the promise than it is to have faith in God for the right timing for the promise. And so he has to build this into us. So it's an imposed season. The second thing is it's a period of no predetermined length. I don't believe it was God's design that they spent 40 years in the wilderness. He could work his will out through that, sure, but I think plan A might have been two weeks. So that tells me that if we cooperate with what God wants to do in us, this becomes a capability-based assessment, if I can put it that way. This is not about education. It's not, they didn't have to go back and learn some more things. They had to grow in character and capacity in a certain way that equipped them for the promised land. Otherwise, the promised land was going to kill them. 
So he had to do something in them that prepared them for their promised land. And so it's not a predetermined length, it's capability-based development, which the whole world talks its way now. It's not about education solely, it's about building capacity, it's about building character. So Jesus, he went through a wilderness, took him 40 days. They took 40 years. David, Joseph, Apostle Paul, 14 years. Abraham, 25 years. Pat Hegarty, 14 years. How are you going? How's the odometer clicking over with you? I reckon if I'd have heard this message, I would have cut it down a bit. And my wife wouldn't struggle with me as much as she does. <laughs> Our poor wives are so patient. They sit there and go, man, they know why. We're dealing with our blind spots and our arrogance and our ignorance and they're just going, man, if you would just listen to God. Uh, she was very gracious, incredible actually through the whole thing. Okay, principle number three, it's a pulling back period. This is why it's so difficult for us because we think we're in go forward mode. God gives a promise. We go, fantastic, destiny. It's gonna be awesome. Lights will be involved. <laughs> and so we press on. And we think this is a time to push forward. But so often the promise comes and it's like God says, yeah, that's, that's the promise, that's where we're going. First step is back. I need you to pull back. Because you can't get to where you're going by purely pushing forward. You can't push forward until you've got the capability that you need for this season. And it's part of the rhythms of grace. The growth happens in the backswing. Real growth, as it does with, with muscle development, with mind development, the whole thing. Character comes, the growth comes in the backswing. Fourthly, it's a period of supernatural provision. There's things that happen in your wilderness time that don't seem to happen in any other time. The world's supply lines are literally cut off. And that's, this is where we get the idea of the desert. It's like, I'm, I'm cut off from my previous mechanisms of supply. Supply of ego, supply of uh, purpose, supply of emotional fuel, supply of security, supply of all the things that I've normally derived from the world the way the world provides, then God says, I'm drawing you into a wilderness time where I am going to supply those needs in a very different way and it's just going to be through me. And it's very unique to the wilderness time. Interestingly, you would think, the way I've described that, that life stops in the wilderness, but it doesn't. Life just goes on. Life motors on while we deal incrementally with our stuff. Abraham, for example, 25 years, he took land, he had adventures, he, he married, he did deals, he, he bought a tent, he did, did all the stuff we're doing. And you can even pass away through the wilderness, as the Hebrews demonstrated. So life goes on. And so we can actually be in a mode where we think, well, I'm, the years are ticking by, I'm doing life, surely this is going to work out the way it needs to one day. But we can actually be doing that in the absence of learning the lessons and becoming who God's called us to become. We're just looping it, if you know what I mean. And you'll know what I mean. You'll know that sense where I've been around this thing before. And you need a circuit breaker. Otherwise, life just keeps looping because you, you keep dealing with God the same way you used to. You keep pressing forward the same way you used to. And you think, door won't open, loop, and round I go again. So these are unique moments with a unique set of transformational dynamics. Understanding what God's trying to do in you is incredibly helpful for navigating this period. There are, there's a, he's doing a unique transformation and there's a unique transformational dynamic or two that he's doing. Because faith will no longer look like pushing forward and life with God will not look like performing. Life with God won't, won't look like I'm living for God. In the wilderness, you learn to live from God. So he needs to do it in this way for you. It's not about performance, it's not by jumping over a bar. He's teaching you about how to live from him. 
And so this transformation is activated by two modes. So now I'm going to start to dig into Scripture, but I need you to hang in there for a moment as I do that. There's two specific modes, there's two things He wants to do in you through this wilderness period. Number one is increased abiding, abiding, union with God. He wants you to come and dwell with Him, and I'm going to flesh these out. The second one is a ceasing of your striving to make it happen, because He will make sure it doesn't. Because if it does, you're not going to learn the lesson. So he needs you to learn the lesson. So when it does, it's going to happen right. Okay? So increased abiding, union with God, a ceasing of striving. So before I look at this in Scripture, I want to put it in the context of this passage in Exodus 33. Moses is fed up already. He's only been going a few weeks with these guys, and he's going, I've never heard so much whining in my life. Mate, these guys are spiritual gift of complaining. They will find things to grumble about. Like, dude. Get a grip. There's, there's manna coming from heaven. There's tablets are coming from stone. There's, there's water coming out of rocks. Do you not, not just get it? See that pillar and that cloud? We're going that way. God is with you. And then me, 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 me. And he's, and he's done. It's a bit like me. I hate drama. I'm not a drama guy. You know how some people love drama? You'll have a conversation and just drama manufactures. You think, how do you do that? I was happy a moment ago. It's like, you've just ruined my day with drama. There wasn't any drama. Now there's drama. Moses hates drama. He's going, why can't they just get this thing together? And so he's frustrated. So he comes to God, and even God's getting frustrated. These people are starting to nag me too much. And Moses is getting all derailed in this Exodus 33 passage. And he's, it's like, I've been doing what you said. God, you know, you promised, you guided, you did that. But this isn't going well for me. This isn't going well for any of us. We're stuck here in the desert now. And so Moses wants to get behind the veil. It's like, I've seen what's going on, I've seen the works, but he wants to get behind the veil into the back room and start to go, how are you doing this? Because I, I sort of, you've called me, you reckon I'm, I'm, I'm an icon for this thing, I'd really like to know, I can cooperate better if you just tell me your ways. And Psalm 103 says that Israel knew of God's works, his, his deeds, Moses knew of God's ways. He took him behind the veil, he said, I'm going to show you how and why I'm doing this. And these lessons, as Paul said in Corinthians, are lessons then for us. But when we pick it up, there's this interesting note, and we're going to pick it up from about 12, but in verse 11, we look at how Moses and Joshua, his young age, so Joshua's only a, a young spike at this stage, and then Moses is the icon, he's the guy, he's invited in to dwell with God, give me the counsel, I'll go out and I'll tell the people. But somehow Joshua has found his way in there too. But who was the one who took him into the promised land? Joshua. It wasn't Moses in the end. I find this staggering. After all that he went through, he got to look at it and went, I'm done. Joshua got to go in. And I think this little verse gives you a secret as to why. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Such a beautiful little phrase. Joshua did not leave the tent. Why? because he wanted relationship. He's not there in a functional relationship saying, just give me the stuff, give me the download, give me the tablets and I'm out. Moses was still think, uh, thinking functionally until the day he died. Joshua was in partnership. Joshua already found, he said, this thing's about union. This is about getting close to God. And so he got his eyes off the outcome and onto the relationship. So let's track through this now in the following verses. So Moses said to the Lord, You've been, here we go, you've been telling me, here's the promise, yeah, you gave me this promise, do this, you, you forced me into this, I didn't want to do it, I didn't want to plant a church in Kenmore, oh, sorry, 
You've been telling me, lead these people. And there's a prophetic word come through. But you have not let me know whom you will send me, especially someone with a name that starts with Z. You said, I know you by name and you've found favour with me. And I so relate to what he's saying there. It's like the promises come clear, crystal clear, nothing happens. And then another guy comes along. It's like you get the prophetic word 10 years after you've had the calling on your life and someone goes, God just wants you to know he loves you. It's a good word, but you're looking for a little bit deeper. You're looking for a door to open. You say, I know that. I've got that one in the bank, but God, can you throw me a bone because I really want to get through this door. It's driving me a bit nutty. And this is sort of what he's saying. You've said, I know you by name and, you've, and I've found favour. Great. But if you are pleased with me, it's like, come on, man. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. And just by the way, let me throw a manipulating statement in. Remember this nation is your people. Forget what the Lord said. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Veil open. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Because my two activating dynamics, if I can put it that way, the two big things you need to be looking for in your wilderness, God's presence with you and a sense of rest. I will give you rest. These are the two modes to understand and to activate. If you want to cooperate with God through the wilderness period, this is what he's trying to do in you, that you would activate and you would transform through his presence in your life in a new way and a sense of understanding his rest. Time, communion, he wants his presence to be dwelling in your life. Plus, it's an understanding that his presence is the one, he brings the power, he does the heavy lifting, he's doing all the stuff. So you saw their wilderness time, the food came down, they never had to hunt, their shoes repaired themselves, all the stuff was going on because his power and his presence was with them. So mode number one is presence. That's increased abiding. And this can be the hardest thing to do. Can't it? It's like, I just want to get on with life. I want to live for God. He's saying, no, draw back. I need you in union because there's things I want to do to you. There's things through you that you'll only hear and understand if I'm doing that and you can hear me. And we saw this in Jesus' wilderness experience. The angels come and they tended him because God had to do the heavy lifting there, God the Father. Mode two is rest, a ceasing of striving. More often than not, this becomes the harder of the two to navigate. Presence, yep, time with God, talk, listen. But this ceasing of striving through rest, the hard work of rest. So I'm not going to push anymore. I'm not going to try and impress other people. I'm not going to try and impress myself and hit the level that I think I should be at when all my friends are high achievers and they're going way past me in life. I'm not going to buy into that game. I'm going into God's game. I'm buying the kingdom game. I'm not going to impress God or people or myself through my own striving. Insecurity gets put aside and I stop perpetually trying to be accepted or okay or prove myself. I stop criticizing myself. I stop judging. I stop giving God a list of needs and allow myself just to become full of God himself. I stop living the way life demands that I live. I pull back and I just breathe again. And I say, I am God's, he is mine. And I'm okay with that. And there's peace in my soul. The winds can blow all around me, but I'm, I'm at peace with God. Rest, the hard work of rest. It really means I can still my soul in the midst of any storm. And these dynamics of the wilderness are a circuit breaker to your old modus operandi. Growth, the growth that you're gonna need 
grows by dwelling deeper in the presence of the faithful one, doesn't it? If you want to grow in faith, I'm often asked this, how do you grow faith? Lie in the wings of the faithful one. The strength we need to push forward comes through our season of rest. And so even though we see, we see these things as a negative time, I just want to show you how much they really are not. Wilderness are, are your best friend. I love it when God calls me into a wilderness. It's a time to stop and breathe, to listen, to download and to grow strong. And so there's positive purpose behind it. Let me give you a few and they'll be on screen. The first is to prepare you for your promised land. You can't go into your destiny until you fully embrace, you fully learn what only the wilderness can give you. Because there are giants in the promised land. There are battles to be fought more than your strength can ever survive. And to endure through that, you need to know uh, how to live from him. Secondly, to activate new dynamics in your relationship. If you're living the same way with God as you did when you met him, then you're going to see the purpose for the wilderness because he needs you to upgrade the way you're engaging with him because you're about to walk into an upgraded life. And so you need to relate to him in new ways that bring about new facets of his power. Have a look at Hosea chapter 2. It says, therefore, talking about this same period in in Exodus, therefore, this is God saying, I'm now going to allure her, meaning the whole nation. I will lead her into the wilderness. I'll speak tenderly to her there. There I'll give her back her vineyards. I'll make the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. So this, this experience that we think is pain, that's trouble, that's disruptive, that's annoying and, and killing my soul, is actually a door of hope into a whole new destiny. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. He's saying there's a relationship shift is going to happen with you there. As you allow yourself to draw away, instead of saying things like God is purely the boss, which he always is, he's always Lord, he's always to be feared in that way, but he's also my friend. He's saying, You're gonna, I'm going to go from being your master to your husband. You'll understand that language from my previous message. Jesus would say, I'm, I'm converting you from servants to friends, he said. Apostle Paul said, you're going from slaves to sons. There's a process that happens where God just isn't the the big stick in the sky that we have to impress. This is intimate now. I'm alluring you into the wilderness so we can just get this relationship going. The very reason that Jesus died was for this relationship. So it's to activate these new dynamics. Thirdly, it's to equip you to draw from him. Deuteronomy 8, 2-3, he's talking about this period. God says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you. All right, so we'll get back to that in a second. In order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So there's a test involved here. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with the manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live from bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is why. So that they would learn that life comes from him, that you're to draw your day from him, that if you can get through your day without him, you're living the wrong day. We're supposed to be drawing our life and our sustenance and our food from him. And so you can see the process. There's a new sense of hunger because the world supply has been cut off. He's done that to discipline them and humble them so they draw from God instead of the world. And so this brings humbling which is interesting because we're living from daily union with him and we realize it's not up to me. But he says, I'm gonna humble you and I'm gonna test you. So testing means there's capability-based exams coming. They had the capability exam when they had sent the 12 spies in, fail. Okay, just had to find out whether you're ready or not. Apparently not, off you go. Let's loop it out again, 
Okay, let's, let's keep looping it out again. So there's tests there. So what I want to do is give you the doors out, show you a few of these tests, how it can look. And no one better, better, no one better demonstrated the wilderness than Jesus. Now, Jesus was perfect. He didn't need to be punished. He was already perfect. But there was an upgrade required because even though he was perfect, Hebrews says, he still had to be made more perfect. He needed to be made more mature, more complete. He had to get bigger, in other words. He was already perfect, just more. To go through that, he had to go in the wilderness. He too was baptized, just like the Hebrews were. Once he's baptized, there's no coming back. The dove, the dove comes down, the Spirit comes and leads him into the wilderness. Have a look in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Just like you've been led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which means it must be good news. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Yeah, not so good news. Okay, so there's something happens in there that's a little bit unfortunate. What happens there is that this dog on the leash, which is Satan is allowed to do his role somewhat, he, but he's a dog on a leash. But in, in this instance, he's allowed to put pressure on Jesus through that wilderness period to demonstrate and to build this character. Now, I won't go into the whole theology of that, and let's not read too much into that, but that's literally just what the Scripture is saying there. And so, but the, the interesting bit for me is the three tests that come after that. There's three indicative tests in the wilderness, and you may go through some that are slightly different, but this demonstrates presence and rest and how Jesus allows it to work through his life. Okay, verse 1 to 4. Jesus ate nothing through those days. So there's the world supply cut off. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You hear the echo there of Deuteronomy that we just read out. I humbled you and tested you so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone. Well, Jesus has just quoted that. This is the lesson. It's a supply test. This is a test that you'll be undergoing at some point. And you might find this thing keeps coming around. But you've got the spiritual gift of avoiding it. But it just keeps coming around. Loop, loop, sorry God, repeat, loop. Supply test. Where are you drawing your supply from? Are you, are you drawing your supply from Facebook likes or what your job description looks like or what's on your CV uh, or how much money you have or how good your parents have been to you? Where is your supply coming from? Because if it's coming from God, you'll know it. And he'll, he'll put that to you because the destiny that's upon your life requires it to come from him. It's a supply test. Maybe this is your circuit breaker too. Perhaps you've been playing Christian for too long. Perhaps you've just been going through the motions, just looping around, but you know you're, you're sort of empty on the inside. You know, I'm just doing the stuff. I'm just being faithful. I can't really quite remember what fruitful looks like, but I'm turning up. But you know, inside, we get to a worship time or a prayer time for your quiet time, you know, there's nothing really going on there. It's, it's, it's like a hollow shell. You, you know there, there could be more. You're told about it, you, but it's just not your story right now. And so we need to get back into the prayer room. We need, to, we need to get intentional and actively live from God again. We need to practice His presence. It's a supply test. And He'll put it to you periodically through your wilderness. And you're not ready to proceed until you can. Okay, the next one, Luke 4 verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. Man, eh? that's a big call. 
Jesus doesn't confront him on it because it's true. At that period of history, the evil one had reign over the whole deal. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, whatever, man. Like, honestly. Imagine saying that to Jesus. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We probably won't be given the priority test like this. I don't imagine the devil's going to come to you and say, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just worship me. We'll do it for a lot lesser deal than that. But he had to play big stakes with Jesus. But it's a priority test. What's, what's your priority? Uh, Jesus said, you've got to worship the Lord and serve him only. His constant line was, seek God, worship God only. Seek first the kingdom. Turn your back on selfish ambition and recognition and, and uh, all the stuff that the world gives you and worship only that which comes from God. And maybe this is your circuit breaker too. Maybe I've done everything and I've even been faithful in so many areas of my life, but at the end of the day, I know I'm worshipping things as well as God. I'm serving things other than God. God's not getting the very best. He's getting what's left over of my time, of my passion, of my heart, my relationships, my finance, my, my learning, all those elements that make up our life. We'll invest hugely in our degrees, won't we? We'll invest hugely in superannuation, real estate. We'll invest time in all sorts of things, but we won't invest time in God, in seeking first the kingdom. And he's saying, you're going nowhere until you can do that because this is a capacity-building exercise. It builds your inner world. Nothing replaces the zeal of someone who's just sold out for God. And, but in our life, in our day, there's so many choices for your time. So much will come at you. I've got 95 apps on my phone that tell me to do things. I've got WhatsApp. I've got Facebook. I've got Google. I've got all of those things. Bing, 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 bing. We've even put one on now. That's, that's, we've got cameras in the cafe to, to, you know, in case we get broken into. Now it's going ding, ding, ding. I thought, Lord. It's hard to seek first the kingdom if all we're doing is reacting to the world, to the emails, to, to the demand, to the shrill voices of everyone who's complaining about whatever they're complaining about, and they're always doing it. It's just now I'm hearing it all the time. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd just put on Facebook, well, everyone shut up. <laughs> Have you ever been tempted to put on Facebook what you really think? Bad career move for a pastor if you ever do that. <laughs> so this is a priority test. We turn our, our back on, on selfish ambition. We need a circuit breaker for the way we live. Finally, it goes on. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands. This looks like a victimless crime so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus didn't see it that way. He said, this is assumption. You're trying to replace faith with assumption. You're trying to say that I can place an expectation on God to do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. The expectation test. This is actually the most subtle one of all that derails our life because we keep coming to him saying, God, why haven't you? Or what haven't you done? All the stuff that's in our list, why can't you get that person's act together? Why can't you change this and change that? And it's all our assumptions, it's all our expectations on God. And he's saying, don't put the Lord to the test. Our job is to follow, not get him to follow us. And so we can't hear what he offers us because we're too busy demanding what we want. But he's calling us to a different place. 
Because when you pass the expectation test, and I, I must admit to you with a wind out of my little soul, this was my hard one. This was my hard one. Because I was so driven. I was so proud. I had so much energy and so many good ideas. I reckon I could force my way through anything. But after 14 years of that, and then one day just saying, Father, I surrender. I haven't got it. It's pretty obvious now I can't pull this off. In fact, I can't really do much of anything. And I sat with someone the other day and, and it was a really important moment in their life. They were 30 years younger than me and saying, it's all right for you, you've achieved so much. And I'm thinking, I don't see my life that way. And you, you begin to see the, the work that life's done. And you know, I just had to come back and say, I don't think any of us really have too much that we can be proud of. Pride doesn't have its place. Scales of achievement don't have their place. We just have to surrender and say, Father, your will be done, your way be done. And when I'm saying that, I mean in me, in me. Somehow through all this striving, I've lost my peace. And I need to submit to you and say, whatever this contract looks like as it plays out, whatever the, out, the end game is in this, I'm in. I submit to that and I'll do it happily. That's the expectation test. And the upgrade of these tests, those three tests that I just said, are true power. And I hope in your life you get a, a, a chance to experience the raw power of God in your life that only comes when he opens, when the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble ceases and a door into hope opens. And in those times where he anoints you with power to do this job, he says, you're ready, now I can trust you. Let's go and do this thing together because now it's not just about me providing all your needs. Now it's about you and me working together as a partnership. Yeah, the giants are coming. You're going to throw the spear. I'm going to direct it. You can throw the stones, but I'm pulling Goliath down. That requires a whole nother level of faith and the anointing that comes from, from just walking and surrendering and giving up your own power and saying, Lord, let's go your way. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee after this wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Anointing like that can't be explained. It's, it's just this partnership that takes on those giants. It gives you the faith to say yes, no matter what the cost. Even if a, a gun is at your head, you won't deny him. That's power over the world. It's something, and freedom like that is something we should all be wanting to live. So I wonder, I wonder what your valley, your wilderness is. Maybe those three tests aren't yours, but they're a good place to start. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe this is your moment where you've been, you've been turning up at church or you've had uh, Christian parents. You've thought going to church makes you a Christian just like going to Macca's makes you a hamburger or something like that. Or, you know, it doesn't work that way. There just comes a moment where you need to, you need to say, I'm placing, I'm handing over the reins. I'm handing over the reins. You take the steering wheel because I can't do this and I'm placing my faith in you, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin. I'll never be able to do it never earn my way into your good books. Take the wheel. Maybe you've just been doing what I did, which so many of us do. Take that path in life of just trying to push through to be someone, to achieve something, to be remembered. None of it matters. None of it. The only thing that matters in life is what is the kingdom of God and what He's done through you. And the, the humility that's required to take that step and to steward the anointing of God. You can't unsee that. You're never satisfied ever again for life in your own strength. There is so much more available to each of us if we lay down our swords and surrender.
Let's pray as a band comes up. Father, thank you for the wilderness. Thank you that your scripture shows us the way out. Thank you, Lord, it's not an endless loop. Thank you that you're not punishing us. You're drawing us into a new walk with you. Lord, I just sense today you want to break the chains on people who feel like they've been chained in their wilderness. Father, to release hope, to turn a valley of acor into a door of hope. If only we'd known, we would say, all I had to do was trust. All I had to do was abide and find my peace. So Lord, I pray the power, the grace that, these, that each of us need, the faith that we need to say yes to that would convert these valleys of trouble into a door of hope. Lord, I pray, let your grace come now. Let your grace come. Lord, I pray, restore faith. Restore hope. Restore purpose. And fill us with faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. darkness my god that is who